Hello and welcome to the Glide TV Recaps Game of Thrones here for the final installment of our Season 8 preview series as we are looking at our Season 8 predictions and what we, uh, you know, believe might be coming to transpire. So obviously, you know, we know really only one thing for sure is to come in the season. That being a big battle at Winterfell between the living and the dead. That's pretty much all we know for sure is coming. Uh, so, obviously this is all take everything here with a giant grain of salt. Neither of us are remotely experts on the subject. Uh, one of us more so than the other, but nonetheless. Uh, but we're going to do our best to, in at least my case, to have parsed through Obviously, the previous seven seasons, whatever promotional material for Season 8 has been released, uh, as well as other assorted things uh, from the world to kind of parse out what I think might be in store. But first, we're going to start with what requires the least knowledge, potentially. Uh, let's look at the betting markets for Season 8. So... Okay. Uh, yeah, so obviously, you okay. know, Thrones is very popular, so much so that sports books have been throwing out Game of Thrones odds. So, uh, okay. of course, I will tell you which book these odds are from, but I took from two books, uh, Bavada, and then the only other one that I could find that was easily accessible, uh, so I had to get it from Skybet, which is a UK uh, place. So we'll start with uh, probably the easier uh, camp, which is just uh, to die. So which of these characters will die in the season? So these odds come from Skybet. Um, so Cersei is by far the favorite to die uh, sometime during the season, listed at minus 5,000 odds. Uh, and then, in, yeah, so seconds Euron at minus 3,300. Um, so the odds makers see little to no way uh, Cersei lives through this season. Huh. Uh, nor Euron, really. Uh, Varys, minus 1,200. Uh, Beric minus 800. Jorah, at minus 700. Jaime, minus 450. Melisandre, minus 450. Danny at minus 450. The Hound, minus 300. Grey Worm, minus 250. Theon, minus 200. Podrick Payne, minus 188. Tyrion, minus 175. And then uh, Brienne and Sansa are even money. Uh, if you bet on them to, uh, to die, you'd get uh, even return. And then Underdogs to die. So these, actually, these characters are actually expected to live this season by odds makers. Braun at minus 110. John at minus one, or plus 125. Sorry, Braun's plus 110. Uh, Arya plus 125. Bran at plus 200. Gendry at plus 200. Gilly at plus 250. And the character they uh, offered odds on that they think is the least likely to die, Samwell Tarly, plus 300 to die. Uh, so, you know, obviously if I'm going to slap a bet, obviously, you know, uh, you know, obviously those big favorites, not really any, any worth bothering, uh, obviously in, you know, a value perspective, but, 
I'm I've been staring at for the last like 10 minutes that I, after I got the updated these lines. Um John at plus 125. I can't figure out why he's an underdog. Uh honestly. He's an underdog. Yeah, like they don't expect him to die. He's an underdog to die oh, in the well, season. Underdog to die. Okay. Yeah, I can't figure out why that were you not listening to everything I just said? Well, yeah, I, underdog to me meant would mean that he would die, but okay. No, no, An no, underdog, no. yes. Not to die, yes. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out why that is with John. Like, Bran, I kind of get it. Arya, I get it. Uh, Brienne at even money seems a little weird. Well, um, I think John is one of the most liked characters, but in this show, that doesn't matter. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, honestly, but... No, otherwise Rob would still be alive. <laughs> Ned uh, would still be alive. And I could see John... I, I don't think he's going to die, so... Hmm. Okay. I don't think he will. Hmm. And if he does, he'll be resurrected, so... Ah, okay. Um, I think the, the value play here to me, even though it's just even money, so it's not really that great of a return, is Brienne at even is uh, good value for someone I can't believe is that unlikely uh, to die, really. Um, but if you want positive return, uh, I honestly, if you want positive return, I would maybe... Uh, Braun at plus 110, that's not really much of a positive return, but you're not getting much positive return at anyone no. here. Um, but I, I think I'd take Braun at plus one ten, if I'm looking at the pure underdogs here. What was Tyrion at? Uh, minus one seventy five. Oh. So they expect him to they, die here. They expect him to die. They expect. Uh, so the these odds makers expect Cersei, Euron, Varys, Beric, Jorah, Jaime, Mel, Danny, the Hound, Grey Worm, Theon. Podrick and Tyrion all to die. Brienne and Sansa, they're not sure. Uh, and then Bronn, John, Arya, Bran, Gendry, Gilly, and Sam, they expect to live. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but so not much there. Now we're going to get into some good value. Uh, let's head over to our good friends at Bavada. Uh, first to die. So, first to die. Okay. Uh, Euron is the odds on favorite at plus 210. Yara at plus 250. Sansa plus 350. Theon plus 750. Jamie is plus 1000. Cersei is plus 1200. Danny plus 2500. Arya at plus 5000. Tyrion at plus 5000. And John at plus eight thousand. Uh, so, obviously, Euron's nice return there for being the favorite to die first here. Uh, I don't really know why that's Euron. I would, I would have expected that to be Theon. I'm surprised Theon's actually as low as he is. Yeah. Um, uh. Sansa puzzles me uh, there as the third most likely. Uh, that. And after her, there's a big drop. Uh, you know, it goes 350, 750. Uh, but if you're looking for value, I mean, Theon at plus 750 is real nice there. Uh, 
<laughs> I huh. can't imagine they would do this, but the one thing we'll get to later, we don't we have not seen or I did not see in any of the trailers anything where Danny or the dragons are in or around anything that looked like a combat scene. So, Danny at plus 2,500 being first to die, I don't think's terrible. In the trailer, we'll get into it later, but we see John in action. We see Arya fighting. We see Jamie fighting up at Winterfell. We see Cersei in the throne room, so who knows what's going on there or when that is. Uh, but we, at least as far as I could tell, we do not see Danny or the dragons involved in any combat whatsoever in uh, the trailer. So, you know, obviously this is parsing, but hmm. Danny at plus 2,500 to be the first to die, I don't think is a terrible bet, and that's great value, but I would lock in at that Theon plus 750 for sure. Well, To me, just feels feels right. Euron and Yara... Also feel right, but that's not good enough value to bother for me. I would not bet on anything for the first one to die. Well, no. That's just... Or any of these, probably, knowing not. you, but... Well, the first <clears throat> to die, just... Yeah. I... <laughs> no, that's too random for me. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so to rule at the end, to be the person in power... Uh, Bavada specified this, it's either whoever is sitting on the Iron Throne or if the Iron Throne is not the seat of power any longer, whoever controls King's Landing will be deemed the winner for this prop. Uh, so, okay. in case, you know, we're thinking the whole thing I brought up of like uh, seven independently ruled kingdoms type of deal, so it'd be whoever's in control of King's Landing wins this prop in that scenario. Okay. Uh, so, to rule Westeros at the end, Bran is the favorite at plus 220. Jon plus 350. Sansa plus 500. Danny and Gendry, both at plus 700. The Night King and Littlefinger, as well as Tyrion, are all three listed at plus 1,000. Uh, the child of Danny and John at plus fourteen hundred, Arya plus sixteen hundred, Sam at plus two thousand, Cersei to live through it all and stay in power, plus twenty five hundred, Jamie plus four thousand, Davos and Varys plus seven thousand. Bronn, Euron, Brienne, Jock and Hagar, Jorah, and Melisandre are all at plus 10,000. Dario, Beric, the Hound, all at plus 1,250. Uh, or 12,5, 12, 12, sorry. Uh, Gilly, Theon, Yara, Tormund, and the Mountain, all plus 15,000. Uh, so, if you're looking down once, if you're looking, at least in my mind, if you're looking at the 10,000 and up, what is the best bet out of those? Oh, boy. Um, uh. honestly, I, I would say, um, Braun would be a waste, Brienne would be a waste, uh, Melisandre would be a waste, 
the Hound would be a waste. Gilly would be a waste. Uh, Tormund and the Mountain wastes, wasted money there. Uh, Euron, I think, is an interesting one to look at, quite frankly. Um, if you're if you're into looking at these wild long shot ones, yes. Uh, Euron, Jora. And uh, Yara, actually, to me, would be very interesting, super long shot ones. Actually, out of these, because we'll get into a bit more uh, in a minute, out of these long shot ones, I think I would actually be most interested in Yara plus 15,000 uh, to end up in power, I think, out of the 10,000 and above would be the most, would be the one that I feel uh, the safest putting on, which would be uh, about like, you know, you're bridging like 20%, I'd feel confident in that one. Yeah. Uh, that's about as much as you're going to get when you're that far down. Now, out of the rest of them, obviously, Bran being the favorite is interesting to me, uh, obviously. Uh, Danny, I would honestly say Danny is almost a wasted bet here. Uh, we'll get into this later, but to me, it just doesn't feel right for Danny to end up being in power. It just doesn't feel right to to the story. Uh, Littlefinger, I mean, you're uh, that's uh, you know, assuming that he somehow faked his death there yeah. at the end of season seven, which I mean, it's Littlefinger, so it's possible, but. I would not be bothering with that. Uh, I think that would be a waste. Honestly, the Night King being in power to me would be a waste too. Yes. Um, the Child of Danny and John is an interesting one to look at uh, for sure. But if you're looking in the kind of more reasonable favorites, honestly, I do kind of like the Cersei to somehow Survive. stay in power through it all uh, at plus 2,500. I don't think that's remotely going to happen, but that's... Uh, a nice return for something that I don't think is horribly out of possibility. Uh, but if you're looking in the more kind of reasonable money return, uh, Tyrion at plus a thousand, I would definitely put that in. Uh, would be out of the out of these. I think that would be my favorite uh, out of this for both value and likelihood. Yeah. Uh, if you're just going pure likelihood, I would definitely say John at plus 350, but it's not that great of a return. But uh, Tyrion at plus 1,000, I think, is the right combo of value and likelihood to me. Uh, we'll move on quickly. And last betting market thing, unless you want to talk about, there's a lot of other props out there at Bovada. Like a, you can pick like who will kill Cersei. What episode will Cersei die in? You can do a lot of these weird things, but I didn't bother with any of that <laughs> okay. stuff for this. Um, so this is more to to rule Westeros at the end. Uh, these are other characters that are not listed at Bavada, but are listed at Skybet. So uh, for completion's sake, you could bet on the Children of the Forest at plus 4,000. Stannis Baratheon at plus 5,000. Cersei's child, the one she's pregnant with now, at plus 6,600. Kyburn, at plus 6,600. Podrick Payne, at plus 10,000. Grey Worm, at plus 10,000. 
Victorian Greyjoy. Uh, he's the the guy on the Iron Islands, the the priest. That's Victorian. Uh, so you could bet on him at plus ten thousand. Uh, Liana Mormont at plus ten thousand. Uh, Masandi at plus ten thousand. Uh, this is the first one where I go, what in the world? Um, Catelyn Stark at plus 15,000. Yeah, I don't know that one. Like, Stannis, I kind of get, because it's like, okay, we didn't actually see him die on screen. It'd still be ridiculous. But Cat, uh, we we clearly saw uh, <laughs> die. Um, Edison Tillet uh, at plus 20,000. He's the current Lord Commander in the Night's Watch. Well, John put him in power there. I don't actually, I don't, well, they never mentioned if they held another election, but nonetheless, that's him. Uh, Ned Stark at plus 20,000, if you want to bet on him for some reason. Uh, Mira Reed at plus 20,000. Magister Illyrio Mapatis at plus 20,000. Alaria Sand at plus 25,000. Uh, and then in pure lunacy camp, Sir Pounce, that's Tommen's cat, uh, is plus 25,000. Uh, Hot Pie at plus 50,000. And um, Ed Sheeran at plus 100,000. Yeah. Um, out of those, uh, out of the, so I mean. You're wasting your money. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yes. I guess if you put one dollar down on that Yeah, if one, you put a dollar down on Ed Sheeran and he somehow is, you win $100,000 on that. But <laughs> that's, you know, sure, you're wasting a dollar probably, but if you if it somehow happens... More than likely. Yeah. Um, so out of that camp, I actually don't... I mean, it'd be absurd, but if they were going to pull an absurd thing, Stannis I don't hate... Um, I would never actually bet on it, but I don't hate it. Uh, but actually, the more I'm looking at it, Liana Mormont at plus 10,000, it would also be ridiculous for, you know, this 10-year-old to be put in to, uh, to hold the throne, but it's happened before uh, in the realm. So, And she's shown great leadership qualities in her brief appearances uh through the show so far, so uh, I don't hate that if I'm looking at this, if I'm looking at the this slot, this slate, uh, her or honestly, Illyrio Mapatis at plus 20,000, not, not bad. I actually don't dislike that one. Um, Illyrio's interesting because we haven't seen him since season one, uh, but, you know, he was brought up in... Five, because that's where Varys took Tyrion to, and we know Illyrio and Varys have been working for years on getting the Targaryens back in power uh, together. So I don't actually hate the idea of Illyrio at plus twenty thousand. If I was just gonna, you know, probably waste ten bucks or something, I don't hate that one honestly. Uh, but again, I do think uh, out of Everyone we've now talked about, if you're going to slap a bet that is nice value and likelihood, I would look at Tyrion at plus 1,000. And honestly, I would look at Lyanna Mormont at plus 10,000. Um, you know, if you got, obviously, if you got the money to be 
betting on Game of Thrones outcomes, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you you're you got enough money to waste a bit, but <laughs> so those are the ones I would look at myself if I was betting on it. Okay, what are you feeling? Yeah, I would not go for any of those. Uh, especially like Ned Stark. I'm sorry. Died in season one. We haven't seen or heard of him from then. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing the theory there would be that he gets reanimated by the walkers and then, like, uh, they, like, binge in him and stab him so he's actually, like, half human still, I guess. Although he's just bones at this point, so that wouldn't really make much sense. Yeah, but. see, I'm not sure how... When you're beheaded... That, too. I can't imagine he would be able to be reanimated. See, I think that would body, kind of... If his body and head were buried together, maybe. Or if he was burned, you know, cremated. Mm-hmm. I mean... <laughs> I, no. Yeah. I, I just would not go for someone that was beheaded. I'm sorry. No. I don't know how that would work. Unless there's another Ned Stark I don't know about. Well, there... But... That's obviously possible, but that'd be quite the, a twist to pull. And the one thing that can say, which would make the show really stupid for me if they did this. <laughs> this. Stannis? No. Oh, okay. I mean, talking about Ned Stark here. Oh, still on Ned, okay. Or any of these people that die, or we haven't seen for a long time, or died, mm-hmm. you know, like Littlefinger, let's say, or any mm-hmm. of those people. Since we have the faceless men. So maybe it was not Ned Stark. It was some someone he paid to be Ned Stark right. for a while. Well, chop his head off, but mm-hmm. Ned Stark's buried way under the dungeon here. Right. Well, that's that's. I mean, that's what the books do with Mance Raider. You know, it doesn't show up um, for six seasons. Boy, I would be. That just would not work for me. In the books, <laughs> that's what happens with Mance. Is uh, it's not the faceless men, but uh, I think. I forget exactly how this goes, but one of, like, the free folk has, like, face-changing magic spells, so they disguise some random free folk guy as Mance, and then the Night's Watch executes him, but Mance Raider is actually still alive and parading through the north and whatnot, so so uh, they do, so George did it in the book uh, with Mance. But we have not seen them try that kind of a thing yet with anyone in the show. The closest they got was with um, Arya using Walder Frey after she killed him yes. to kill the rest of the Freys. So, see, so someone like Ned or Joffrey, even though no, no Joffrey, no, all of the, all of Cersei's kids are dead. I, so. There's there's no way any of them are alive. Um, the only one I could see pulling off anything like that would have been Tommen, but he was too worthless, too useless to come up with that. No, and the other um, thing, which isn't discussed that I know of too mm-hmm. much, which to me, I don't know why not, is when Cersei blew up King's Landing. Yeah, when she blew up the Sept, yes. Well, we don't know who was really over there, who was really killed. Um, we, well, everyone in the Sept... Well, uh, we don't really killed. know they were in there. Yeah, what we see them when they we see the inside of the sept as it blows up. Oh, okay. 
Okay. We know Marjorie was in there. We know oh. everyone except Olena of House Tyrell was in there. Was in there, okay. I All the sparrows that. except Lancel was in there because he was off getting stabbed. So we were... Uh, Kevin's in there. Yeah, I don't recall being actually inside the thing. Oh, yeah. actually blew. Okay. Oh, yeah. So we actually seen them... Oh, yeah. Dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. Okay, so that's... Technically, we don't see Tom and die, but we watch him jump out the window, and then it cuts away, right. and then we see we a see covered him. corpse, so we don't technically see Tom and die, right. but... I'll count it with him. Okay. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, we, we are inside that thing. Uh, we, we can watch that again later if you'd like to. Um, uh, so let's see. So I guess we'll just head, because that's all the betting odd stuff I have. Okay. Um, so I have, obviously, if you listen through the last three episodes, you know, I have a lot of questions that I still have that I would like to see answered. I could run through them again, because I do have them all written out, but I will not... Well, I guess I'll go quickly through, I think, the more important ones and the ones that I think are actually quite likely to actually uh, be answered. Um, so, in the premiere of the whole show, why did the Walkers let that one ranger escape? Uh, you know, why, why did they do that? Uh, who did Illyrio get those dragon eggs from in the first place, and how did that person acquire them? I think that might come up. Um, how does Bran react to Jamie's return to Winterfell? That'll obviously be addressed, I would assume. Uh, and does Bran tell anyone the truth of his fall from the Broken Tower? Uh, did Cersei actually have a baby by Robert, as she told Cat? And did this baby actually die, or is it Gendry, as a lot of us have kind of come to assume at this point? Um, did Cereal Pharrell actually die back in Season 1? Also, is it just pure coincidence that Jock and Hagar, the leader of the Faceless Men, and Sirio Pharrell, the first Sword of Bravos, are in King's Landing at the same time? Also, Sirio, quote-unquote, dies in Episode 8 of Season 1, and Jockin first appears in Episode 10. Uh, so, could Sirio just have been a face that was being worn by Jockin? I think if that comes up, uh, that would be addressed. Uh, Tyrion, that won't come up, and neither will that. Uh, was Quaithe important? She appears in two episodes in season two, and she essentially tells Jorah, look out for Danny. people are going to come try and kill her, essentially. Uh, so was she actually important, and will we see her again or not? Uh, does Sansa's marriage to Tyrion matter again, and if so, in what capacity? Uh, how do the reunions between the Hound and Arya, the Hound and Sansa, and Bran and Theon go, or the ones I... And uh, John and Arya also have not uh, actually seen or talked to each other since episode two of the first season. Uh, so those all I will be interested to see. Does Howland Reed appear? That I think he has to in some capacity here. Um... Assuming they all survive, what becomes of the free folk? Because I don't think John or whoever's in power is going to make them go back north of the wall, I don't think. So what's going to happen to them? Are they just going to be gifted land in the gift? Or, I mean, there's a lot of empty castles hanging around. Uh, will they be granted lands in and around those, maybe? 
I don't know. I'll be interested to find out. Uh, will more people become aware of Jamie's king slain, and how will they find out the truth of his story there? Uh, how does Cersei's pregnancy affect the prophecy from Maggie the Woods Witch? Uh, how does Danny plan on breaking the wheel by taking over the kingdoms? What is her ultimate plan for power structure in the Seven Kingdoms, assuming she takes the throne? Uh, what plan does Danny have for Drogon and Rhaegal after she takes the throne, assuming both dragons and her live, of course? Um, did Tyrion strike some sort of bargain with Cersei? in the season seven finale and if so what might that entail for danny uh do dario and the second sons return or not uh who is going to ride Rhaegal? it's john but still uh, <laughs> um, and what role does melisandre have to play in the battle uh there are even some more that i do have that i don't think will be answered but i would really really love to learn more about such as what did Podrick Payne do with those women back in the brothel in season two uh how does the faceless men's magic actually work I doubt this will be addressed but I'd love to know kind of uh, yeah why did the Tyrians allow or why did the Tyrians uh why did the dragons allow Tyrion to unchain them and not attack him uh, will the wall be rebuilt, and how? Uh, and then what will happen with the various unoccupied castles? As far as I uh, could tell, the ones that are, you know, bigger castles, because obviously there's a lot of little ones, but the bigger ones, uh, like Storm's End, is, as far as I'm aware, completely unoccupied. All Baratheons are dead, except Gendry, technically, so is he just going to get it if he lives? Uh, High Garden, all them, all the Tyrells are dead. Casterly Rock, well, Jamie doesn't really care. Cersei really doesn't care, and Tyrion. Eh. Uh, what happens with uh, the Iron Islands? They're all not there at the moment. Uh, what happens with Harrenhal? Not really one that is really that important. But what's going to happen with Harrenhal? Uh, the Eyrie, all the Arryns are dead. Technically, Robin is in charge of it, but I don't really know if that'll end up being the case. Uh, Sunspear, all the Martells are dead. What's going to go on there? Uh, the Twins, the Freys are all dead. Uh, River Run, well, Edmure's technically alive, um, but he's, well, last we heard, he was still in imprisoned at the Twins, so what's going on there? Uh, Dragonstone, Danny had taken up residence there, but she's now left. Uh, and so, as far as we're aware, no one's really at Dragonstone. Uh, Lannisport, Kevin's dead. So the Lannisport wing and the Lannisters are pretty much, as far as show continuity is concerned, all dead. So what's going to go on there? And additionally, uh, what state is the city of Karth in? Uh, as well as like the rest of those, uh, rest of uh, Slaver's Bay, like Yunkai and Astapor and Marine. What state are these cities left in? Karth, you know, um, Zaro killed all the other members of the Council of Thirteen except Piot Pri, and then Danny killed Piot Pri, but somehow the Warlocks survived because they tried to kill her in Season 3, uh, and then they were never brought up again, uh, and then Danny locked Zaro in his vault uh, to starve to death as well in the Season 2 finale, so what exact kind of state is Karth in? 
I would like to find that stuff out, but I doubt uh, at least uh, the Karth one probably won't be addressed. Some of those castles, I imagine, would be addressed uh, uh, depending on how power is going to work uh, in the new uh, realm. Uh, let's see, what else can we get to? I think actually we can get through most of this stuff. So, um, one thing that I think we need to remember and look into, uh, of course, is the tale of the Long Night and how the Walkers were defeated before to get an idea as to how it could go this time. Well, now, uh, the Long Night, of course, is how the people of Westeros refer to a period when a terrible darkness fell across the known world. Now, it occurred during the Age of Heroes, uh, approximately about 8,000 years before Aegon's Conquest, so roughly about 8,300 years or so uh, before the show starts, more or less, because we start around... Actually, I think we start around like the 280s, uh, I believe, so 280 years after Aegon's Conquest, so it's about... About 83, but a little bit under that. Um, in the midst of a great winter that lasted for many, many years. Uh, so, there are many tales throughout different regions about the Long Night. So, in Westeros, uh, in the midst of this darkness, a race of apparent demons, known as the Others, emerged from the uttermost north of Westeros, from the polar regions of the lands of always winter, they wielded razor-thin swords of ice and raised whites to fight the living. The children of the forest and their allies, the first men, fought valiantly against them but were driven southwards by their advance. The others were eventually checked when it was discovered that weapons made of dragon glass could kill them. Legends from the north claim that the last hero made contact with the children and the first members of the Night's Watch drove the others back in the battle for the dawn. Steps were taken to ensure that the people would never be caught off guard by an invasion from the north again. Bran the Builder supposedly raised the wall, an imposing structure of ice and magic, stretching a hundred leagues from the gorge in the west to the shivering sea in the east, cutting off the lands of always winter from the remainder of Westeros. The Night's Watch guarded the wall and protected the people from threats beyond the wall. So that's how the story goes in Westeros. The last hero fought alongside the children of the forest to drive the others. Because in the books, they're never actually named the White Walkers. We're only, we only know them as the others. So the White Walker things, the show's invention, uh, so far at least. Uh, we'll see in the next two books if George ever writes them. Uh, now in Essos, there are some other versions of this tale. Uh, from the Roinar. Uh, they tell of a darkness that made the Roin dwindle and disappear. Her waters, uh, the Roin's a river, uh, for your reference. Okay. <laughs> uh, her waters frozen as far south as the joining of the Selhoru until a hero convinced the many children of Mother Roin, such as the Crab King and the Old Man of the River, to put aside their bickering and join in a secret song that brought back the daylight. Uh, so two kind of god figures joined together in a song to fight back the darkness. Uh, so further east, uh, including from Yi Ti, uh, state that the blood betrayal began a long night. The blood betrayal is a whole other thing we could talk about for 20 minutes, but it's not important uh, to what I'm 
talking about here. Uh, the Lion of Night was unleashed upon the world after the Maiden Maid of Light turned her back on it. So the sun, you know. According to a legend from E.T., during the long night, the sun hid its face for a lifetime, ashamed at something none could discover. And disaster was only averted by the deeds of a woman with a monkey's tail. Uh, then, in other cultures in the East, a great hero known as Zorahai, or Hercun the Hero, or Yintar, or Nefarian, or Eldritch Shadow Chaser, wield the flaming sword Lightbringer, led humanity to victory. Some even say that the five forts were built by the Pearl Emperor to guard against the Lion of Night and his demons. The legend of Azorahai spread from the city of Ashai and is especially prevalent among the followers of R'hllor. A later prophecy claims that the others will return and Azorahai will be reborn to lead the fight. There was also a similar prophecy about the prince that was promised. So, what do I think we can gather from everything I just said. Well, there are many figures credited with ending the Long Night in their respective cultures. Azor Ahai from A Shy in the Shadowlands. Hercun the Hero, which is very much uh, probably from the patrimony of Hercun, uh, possibly even found in the city of Hercun, uh, which is located to the east of the Bone Mountains and primarily resided in uh, the cities of... I'm going to butcher these. I apologize in advance. Um... Kayakayania, Shamiriana, and Bayasabad. Uh, so this is farther east than the show's ever gone. Uh, so is Ashai, technically. Uh, Yintar, which from that name I would assume is uh, from Yiti or Ling, potentially. Uh, one, of those, one of those areas around there. Uh, Nefarian, and given the location of the origin of the story, I would assume this is either from... Uh, maybe uh, the Valyrian Peninsula area, maybe even Valyria itself, although Valyria was founded way after the Long Night ended. Uh, so I think most likely this is maybe from the old Giscari Empire, or maybe even the Kingdom of Sarnor, or maybe somewhere even in the Red Waste before it became the Red Waste. Uh, Eldric Shadow Chaser sounds very Westerosi. Uh, given that name, likely I think the inspiration for the last hero story, although it is pretty well established and very clearly that the last hero is something different from Azora High or the Prince Who Was Promised, uh, and some mostly book fans have theorized that Eldritch Shadow Chaser might be the ancestral founder of either House Dane or House Stark. Uh, potentially. Uh, so given the prevalence of these very similar tales spread throughout pretty much almost all of the known world uh, I, about the Long Night, I am predisposed to believe that the Walkers somehow, I don't really know how they would have, as the Arm of Dorne was long broken at this point, somehow managed to cross the Narrow Sea over into Essos and managed to pretty much get all the way to the far east of it, all the way over to Ashai, before they were finally and continually beaten back into the lands of always winter. Uh, that's my guess, given the prevalence of this story. So is that to occur again? And if so, uh, what does that mean for the future of all these characters we know here in Westeros? Probably not great. Uh, also somewhat related to this topic. Let's think about, or do you have anything to add to that? 
No? Okay. No. So, somewhat related to that, let's think about Craster and his practice of giving all of his sons to the walkers. I think this implies a few things. Firstly, that there are no female walkers, which doesn't really matter, uh, but it does slightly contradict what we know about the legendary figure, the Knight's King, which is different from the Night King. The Knight's King was a uh, member of the Night's Watch who, according to lore, was seduced by a female White Walker and um, went north to rule over the Walkers for a while and tried to lead uh, the Walkers and the Free Folk in an attack on the wall. It didn't end well for him. Uh, but that's the story. We'll probably learn more about that story in particular in the prequel show, I'd imagine. Uh, so that doesn't really matter, but there's no female walkers, this would imply. Two, people can only be turned into walkers very early in life, at least by other walkers. As we do see the Night King created when he was well into his adult years by the children of the forest. Uh, three, this would imply to me, Either walkers age into full adult form almost instantaneously, or they take a very long time to age into the form we see now. Consider that the walkers have not been seen for thousands, 8,000 years at the time the show starts. Maybe it takes that long for these babies to age into adult walkers. Running on that assumption... Running on that assumption, I am privy to believe that unless killing the Night King kills all of the walkers, the show has kind of tried to imply uh, throughout Season 7, uh, that there will be a new generation of walkers waiting in the lands of Always Winter for thousands of years, waiting to launch another attack on the realms of the living. Osha does give some support to this theory uh, in Season 1, Episode 7, when she states that the White Walkers were not gone, they had been sleeping for thousands of years. Uh, so, I think, because there's obviously something to uh, Craster giving his sons up to the Walkers. Uh, and I think there's more to it than just the Walkers, I don't know how, but they somehow agreed to not kill Craster and leave his home alone if he gave up his sons. So what do the Walkers need the sons for then, right? I would think to create more Walkers, right? So if you're telling so you're telling me they turn a baby and then like two days later the baby's like the full adult walkers we, we see on the show. Uh it's either that or they take a really, really long time to age. Uh right? It would imply one of those two things, would it not? Well Cause there's gotta be something to the, the sun thing, to the craster thing. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if they're not turned into White Walkers right away. Okay. So you're having these babies, you're changing their diapers, you're feeding them for years and years and years. and. Well, no, 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 no. They don't stay human. I think they just turn into like baby walkers. Baby walkers. That would be my guess because we see like in the one scene, we see the Night King touch the baby's cheek, and the baby's eyes immediately turn blue to signal Okay. army of the dead servant now. Okay, so then they so, don't need to eat. No, as far as we're aware, no. Walkers don't have any, Do any human bodily functions of any sort, other than the ability to walk and throw things. But do they stop growing at that point? I don't know. 
Because that would not make sense. Well, I think maybe they just age really, really slowly. So you get the babies now and they don't age for 8,000 years. That makes... I don't know. That... Well, because I'm trying to figure out some way to explain the 8,000 years of they were here once and now they're back 8,000 years later. Later. And that's the only one that makes sense other than, you know, sheer plot convenience, which I'd hope there's more to it than just that, but... So unless they're using these babies for the next 8,000 That's my guess, years. yes. That, so this that is would for be our my... next attack in 8,000 years. Yeah, that would be my guess, because I'm trying to figure out why there's 8,000-year gap, why Craster's giving them up. There has to be something for the Walkers to gain from it more than just, oh, we get a few... You know, I mean, how many, well, uh, it's implied like Craster had like 300 sons is what I think they try to say. But even so, like, okay, so we get 300 new soldiers. That ain't that great. No. Uh, when you got the entirety of the north of north of the wall to kill and add to your army, it's not that important. No, I don't think 300 so, would be, that's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, for, for them, yeah. You go to a cemetery and... Touch them and they're okay. We right. turn three hundred in a minute. Right. So, <laughs> so it there really doesn't be, make much sense. There's right. So there had to be there. something the Walkers were gaining from this arrangement with Craster, uh, beyond just okay. We get a few new soldiers for our army. Yeah. So I that's what I'm privy to believe uh, there. Uh, so moving on from that, obviously there is one thing that is going to be very important this season. Valerian steel and Valerian steel weapons. We know it can kill walkers. So where are all the Valerian steel weapons? Well, uh, obviously we know uh, the swords Heartsbane, currently in Samwell's possession. Oathkeeper, currently in Brienne's. Widow's Wail, currently in Jamie's possession. Hopefully he'll give that up to someone who can use it to fight, uh, just like Sam there as well. Uh, Longclaw, in possession of John. Uh, the the dagger in Arya's possession, and that's really all we know in the show uh, so far. Now, uh, from book continuity, there's also the sword Lady Forlorn, uh, which is owned by House Corbray, uh, who are located in the Vale and loyal to House Aaron, but have not yet been brought up or referenced in the show. Uh, the sword Blackfire, which is an old uh, Targaryen sword, uh, was lost in Essos. The last known location for the sword uh, was the city of Tyrosh around 100 years ago. Bright Roar, which is an old Lannister sword, which was lost during an expedition to Valyria. Dark Sister, which is another old Targaryen sword, lost, as far as we know, it was last up at the Wall with Brendan Rivers slash the Blood Raven about 100 years ago as well. And apparently the Citadel does have some Valyrian steel, as they are able to forge Valerian steel links and maester chains, and the Archmaester of Magic Studies should have a ring, rod, and mask made of Valerian steel as well. So obviously the Citadel apparently has some in its possession somehow as well. Uh, now in the books only, beyond what I just mentioned to this point, uh, though Valerian steel is rather rare, there are thought to be several hundred Valerian steel weapons scattered around the known world, at least 200 in Westeros alone. 
Uh, Kago, the captain of the Windblown Sellsword Company, carries a Valerian Steel Arak, which is the curved uh, weapon of the Dothraki. Uh, Red Rain, which is owned by House Drum from the Iron Islands. Nightfall, owned by House Harlaw, also from the Iron Islands. Uh, a Valerian Steel Axe, possessed by House Keltigar. Uh, they're loyal to the island of Dragonstone, as they are also an island, Claw Isle, in the Narrow Sea. Uh, the sword Lamentation, owned by House Royce, uh, currently lost, last known location was the Dragon Pit in King's Landing for that sword. Uh, the sword Orphan Maker, owned by House Roxton, also currently lost. Last known location for that sword uh, was somewhere, it was lost sometime during the Second Battle of Tumbleton in the Reach. Uh, the sword Truth, last held by Moreto Rigar of Lys, currently lost, last we know of, it was in Lys as well. And the sword Vigilance, owned by House Hightower, currently lost, last known location for that sword, uh, was the First Battle of Tumbleton in the Reach. And then some other stuff, uh, Euron Greyjoy also possesses a suit made of Valyrian steel armor in the book. Uh, the, so uh, the Horn Dragonbinder is banded with red gold and Valyrian steel. Uh, Victarion Greyjoy is currently in possession of the, the horn in the books, and he has it as the second Siege of Marine is getting ready to begin. Uh, Aegon I uh, Targaryen's crown was made of Valyrian steel and was last loaned by Darren I but was lost in Dorne and therefore presumably still somewhere in Dorne. Uh, but that's as far as Valyrian steel goes. That's all we know about it at this point. Um, so we got about uh, 20 minutes-ish of time uh, so, uh, I have two things left to cover. I have my actual predictions and then a promo material analysis. Which do you, which would you like to do first? Which would you like to do? I'll have to save the rest for next time. Well, I think our predictions are going to take more than 20 minutes. Probably, okay, so we'll they? do my promo material analysis. Okay, so, promotional materials. So, uh, firstly... I do not think any of this stuff is actually important, but I am going to mention it anyway. So, on the standard edition original Blu-ray release box set for Season 3, uh, Tyrion, Jon, Danny, Rob, Jamie, and Cersei are all shown with half normal faces and half blue. I think this could signify all of these characters, even Rob somehow, uh, turn into walkers or have a pivotal role to play in the fight against the walkers. On the standard edition original DVD release of season four, the front cover shows the three-eyed raven with the bravosi phrase, all men must die, underneath. Potentially this signals an alliance between the raven and the faceless men, Bran and Arya probably. Uh, additionally, every character shown on the packaging, Danny, Cersei, Jamie, Marjorie, Tyrell, Arya, Bran, Tyrion, Sansa, Tywin, the Hound, and Brienne, have the bottom of their portrait shaded in red. Could this have something to do with the Lord of Light? Uh, the standard DVD edition of Season 5 has each character shown. Danny, Cersei, Arya, Tyrion, Sansa, and Jon highlighted in yellow. Like they're all in Essos, Dorne, or some other sandy, bright place, potentially. Additionally, the standard edition releases of the first five seasons 
feature an empty iron throne, typically on the back of the main box. I cannot verify this for six or seven as I do not own those individually. Uh, these were removed from the box set Blu-ray edition of the season one through seven uh, box set. Now on the Blu-ray set of season six from that set, the front cover is modeled after the Hall of Faces in the House of Black and White. It prominently features two characters who are or have been dead, as it features John, Danny, Ned, Sansa, Tyrion, and Cersei. This could signify that all of these will die at some point. The Season 7 set is the first to feature a non-negotiable villain, as it features the Night King on the front cover. Some of the Blu-ray sets from the Season 1-7 to 7 box set have slogans on the front. Season 7 has, You Win or You Die. Season 2, War is Coming. Season 3 does not have a slogan on it. 4, All Men Must Die. 5 and 6 do not have any. And 7 has Winter is Here. Now, this is the one I guarantee is not remotely important, but I wrote it down anyway, so I'm going to say it. Here is the character order on the back of each set from the box set. Season 1 features Cersei, Tyrion, Robert, Ned, John, and Danny from left to right. Season 2 features Cersei, Jamie, Tyrion, John, Rob, and Danny. Season 3, Cersei, Jamie, Tyrion, John, Rob, and Danny. Season 4, Cersei, Jamie, Tyrion, John, Oberon, and Danny. Season 5, Sansa, John, Danny, Tyrion, Cersei, Arya, and Jamie. Six features Bran, Jamie, Danny, Tyrion, Sansa, Cersei, and Arya. And seven features Varys, Danny, Cersei, Tyrion, Arya, John, Jamie, and Sansa. I don't think that's important. I just wrote it down, so you got to okay. hear it. Uh, we'll now move on to um, uh, George R. R. Martin's original pitch for the story of A Song of Ice and Fire that he sent to his editors. So, I didn't know where else to put this, so I'm putting it in uh, the promo material section here. Now, there's likely just a teensy bit of stuff we can glean from his original idea of the story. After all, this was written in 1993, and so therefore is, you know, 26 years old. George likely changed his mind about a lot of things contained within the story. Uh, but nonetheless, here's a transcription of George's pitch letter. Now, the backstory behind this letter. Uh, so some, I think a library got a hold of this when George sold a lot of his stuff to a library. Uh, and the library tweeted it out, but blocked out some stuff, which we'll get to later, but left a lot of it uh, easily to see. But since this did come from uh, photos, not everything on this is totally readable. Uh, and the and the entirety of this text did come from uh, the the Ringers uh, Loose Ends article series that they are doing one every day of Loose Ends from Game of Thrones up until premiere night. Uh, and this was yesterday's story, actually, about what could possibly be gleaned from this. Uh, so this transcription of it came from them. So this is George's trans transcription. I've broken it up by paragraph and will... Add any notes I have after each paragraph. So, Dear Ralph, here are the first 13 chapters, 170 pages, of the high fantasy novel I promised you, which I'm calling A Game of Thrones. When completed, this will be the first volume in what I see as an epic trilogy with the overall title, A Song of Ice and Fire. 
Nothing to glean there except George was very optimistic, thinking he was going to be able to fit this in three books. Uh, it's taken five. And so far, yeah. It's taken five, and there's still a lot to cover. Um, as you know, I don't outline my novels. I find that if I know exactly where a book is going, I lose all interest in writing it. I do, however, have some strong notions as to the overall structure of the story I'm telling and the eventual fate of many of the principal characters in the drama. Nothing important here. Roughly speaking, there are three major conflicts set in motion in the chapters enclosed. These will form the major plot threads of the trilogy, intertwining with each other in what should be a complex but exciting tapestry. Each of the unclear presents a major threat unclear of my imaginary realm, the Seven Kingdoms, and to the lives unclear principal characters. Uh, so... I don't really think there's anything to glean there at all from that bit yet. The first threat grows from the enmity between the great houses of Lannister and Stark as it plays out in a cycle of plot, counterplot, ambition, murder, and revenge. With the Iron Throne of the Seven Kingdoms as the ultimate prize, this will form the backbone of the first volume of the trilogy, A Game of Thrones. Nothing to note here. While the Lion of Lannister and the Direwolf of Stark snarl and scrap, however, a second and greater threat takes shape across the narrow sea, where the Dothraki horse lords mass their barbarian hordes for a great invasion of the Seven Kingdoms, led by the fierce and beautiful Daenerys Stormborn, the last of the Targaryen dragon lords. The Dothraki invasion will be the central story of my second volume, A Dance with Dragons. The only thing I would note here, which is not important uh, to the story, but it does sound there from that that I think George may have initially planned to have the house as House Stormborn and have what we now know as Valyria to be like the Targaryen Empire or something maybe, uh, but he obviously changed that. Uh, the greatest danger of all, however, comes from the north, from the icy wastes beyond the wall where half-forgotten demons out of legend, the inhuman others, raise cold legions of the undead and the never-born and prepare to ride down on the winds of winter to extinguish everything that we would call life. The only thing that stands between the seven kingdoms and an endless night is the wall and a handful of men in black called the Night's Watch. Their story will be the heart of my third volume, The Winds of Winter. The final battle will also draw together characters and plot threads left from the first two books and resolve all in one huge climax. So that's obviously this season. Uh, now, the one thing I will note from this, I'm not quite sure what he means by the never born. I'm not quite sure what that means in this context. Do uh, you have any idea what that would mean? They're gonna like rip unborn babies from wombs or something, or yeah, I don't, that ooh. would be a real uh, even for this show that would be a really dark turn. I guess maybe stillborn babies. I guess they're not mm. technically born. I guess. Ooh, did Danny clean out Salisa's room from dragon <laughs> stuff? Where she had her, her her stillborn fetuses on display. Ah, uh, see, I that. Never born. Yeah, that that's a weird bit. Um, but that's that's all I have to note from that paragraph. That's the only thing I could think of. Uh, the 13 chapters on hand should give you a notion as to my narrative strategy. All three books will feature a complex mosaic of intercutting points of view among various of my large and diverse cast of players. 
The cast will not always remain the same. Old characters will die and new ones will be introduced. Some of the fatalities will include sympathetic viewpoint characters. I want the reader to feel that no one is ever completely safe, not even the characters who seem to be the heroes. The suspense always ratchets up a notch when you know that any character can die at any time. No notes here except George uh, has succeeded on that front. Um, five central characters will make it through all three volumes. This is where we start getting, I think, an important note. However, growing from children to adults and changing the world and themselves in the process, in a sense, my trilogy is almost a generational saga, telling the life story of these five characters, three men and two women. So, uh, this paragraph, we'll get to the last sentence or two here of it. Uh, so this sends, George is implying that these next five, the five characters I'm about to tell you live through the entire saga and everyone else uh, who we may think of as a main character uh, is apparently going to die. So, assuming he hasn't changed any of this. Uh, so, the five key players are Tyrion Lannister, Daenerys Targaryen, and three of the children of Winterfell, Arya, Bran, and the bastard Jon Snow. All of them are introduced at some length in the chapters you have to hand. So George is implying with this, and assuming he hasn't changed his mind about any of this, that uh, like Cersei, Jaime, uh, Sansa, all dead, all going to die. Yes. Uh, all the Greyjoys, all uh. going to die, uh, would be the implication from that. This is going to be, I hope, quite an epic. Epic in its scale, epic in its action, and epic in its length. That's for sure. I see all, uh, in the book world, that's for sure with this. Uh, I see all three volumes as big books running about 700 to 800 manuscript pages. So things are just barely getting underway in the 13 chapters I've sent you. I have quite a clear notion of how the story is going to unfold in the first volume of Game of Thrones. Things will get a lot worse for the poor Starks before they get better, I'm afraid. Lord Eddard Stark and his wife Catelyn Tully are both doomed and will perish at the hands of their enemies. Ned will discover what happened to his friend John Aaron, unclear, can act on his knowledge, unclear, will have an unfortunate accident, and the throne will unclear to unclear and brutal unclear, Joffrey unclear, still a minor. Joffrey will not be sympathetic, and Ned will be accused of treason, but before he is taken, he will help his wife and his daughter Arya escape back to Winterfell. So this mostly happens. This stayed mostly the same uh, there. Uh, not so much the escape back to Winterfell bit, but most of that stayed the same. Uh, this next paragraph is, I think, our next one that we should be concerned about. Each of the contending families will learn it has a member of dubious loyalty in its midst. In its midst. Sansa Stark, wed to Joffrey Baratheon, will bear him a son, the heir to the throne, and when the crunch comes, she will choose her husband and child over her parents and siblings, a choice she will later bitterly rue. Tyrion, meanwhile, will befriend both Sansa and her sister Arya, growing more and more disenchanted with his own family. Now, obviously, the whole, you know, staying loyal to Joffrey part is way not going to happen. But, to me, this does imply Sansa was originally supposed to, of course, be a, 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 a traitor to her family name, right? So I think we might still, still see that arc coming. Uh, young Bran will come out of his coma after a strange prophetic dream, only to discover that he will never walk again. He will turn to magic at first in the hope of restoring his legs, 
but later for its own sake. When his father, Eddard Stark, is executed, Bran will see the shape of doom descending on all of them, but nothing he can say will stop his brother Rob from calling the banners in rebellion. All the North will be inflamed by war, Rob will win several splendid victories, and maim Joffrey on the battlefield. But in the end, he will not be able to stand against Jaime, Tyrion, and their allies. Rob Stark will die in battle, and Tyrion will besiege and burn Winterfell. Uh, that bit obviously changed a great deal. Uh, Jon Snow, the bastard, will remain in the far north. He will mature into a ranger of great daring, and ultimately will succeed his uncle as the commander of the Night's Watch. When Winterfell burns, Catelyn will be forced to flee north with her son Bran and her daughter Arya. Wounded by Lannister riders, they will seek refuge at the Wall, but the men of the Night's Watch give up their families when they take the Black, and Jon and Benjen will not be able to help to Jon's anguish. It will lead to a bitter estrangement between Jon and Bran. Arya will be more forgiving until she realizes with terror that she has fallen in love with Jon, who is not only her half-brother, but a man of the Night's Watch sworn to celibacy. Their passion will continue to torment Jon and Arya throughout the trilogy until the secrets of Jon's true parentage is finally revealed in the last book. Um, so that obviously uh, changed a great, great deal. Uh, but I do think that whole, you know, torment them throughout the trilogy bit just replaced Danny uh, for Arya there. And I think that's probably what Jon and Danny's arc is going to be this season. Yeah. Um, we got three paragraphs left, or four paragraphs of this left. Um, abandoned by the Night's Watch, uh, and then I got the trailers to talk about. Cat um, and her children will find their only hope of safety lies even further north, beyond the wall, where they fall into the hands of Mance Raider, uh, the king beyond the wall, and get a dreadful glimpse of the inhuman others as they attack the wildling encampment. Bran's magic, Arya's sword needle, and the savagery of their dire wolves will help them survive, but their mother Catelyn will die at the hands of the others. Uh, nothing important there. Over across the narrow sea, Daenerys Targaryen will discover that her new husband, the Dothraki called Drogo, has little interest in invading the Seven Kingdoms, much to her brother's frustration, when Viserys presses his claims past the point of tact or wisdom, Call Drogo will finally grow annoyed and kill him out of hand, eliminating the Targaryen pretender and leaving Daenerys as the last of her line. Daenerys will bide her time, but she will not forget. When the moment is right, she will kill her husband to avenge her brother and then flee with a trusted friend into the wilderness beyond Vase Dothrak. There, hunted by Dothraki blood riders, unclear of her life, she stumbles on a cache, something that's unclear but is obviously about dragon eggs, a young dragon will give Danny unclear, bend unclear to her will. Then she begins to plan for her invasion of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, so, uh, the only thing important here is that George apparently originally planned for dragons to still kind of be around, just kind of out in the wild, uh, but not really important to the plot here. Uh, Tyrion Lannister will continue to travel to plot and to play the Game of Thrones, finally removing his, Joffrey, his nephew Joffrey in disgust at the Boy King's brutality. Jaime will follow Joffrey on the throne of the Seven Kingdoms by the simple expedient of killing everyone ahead of him in the line of succession and blaming his brother Tyrion for the murders. Exiled, Tyrion will change sides, making common cause with the surviving Starks to bring his brother down and falling helplessly in love with Arya while he's at it. His passion is, alas, unreciprocated, but no less intense for that, and it will lead to a deadly rivalry between Tyrion and Jon Snow. 
again, replace Danny uh, for Arya there, I think. And that's probably where we're going this season. Uh, that note that Jamie was going to murder everyone in front of him, I think, is an interesting note. Yeah. Because uh, that was basically given to Cersei. Uh, instead, Cersei's done that. Uh, so, uh, next paragraph is intentionally blacked out. But that's the second book. So, obviously, there's something that he has in store. We've yet to see that he was planning for the second volume huh. of the work. Uh, I hope you'll find some editors who are excited about this. Okay, we don't need to read that bit. Um, so, the, this Ringer article also notes that in a 2016 interview uh, uh, with um, David Benoff and D.B. Weiss, the showrunners of uh, Game of Thrones, that George revealed to them, quote, three holy shit moments to them. Those being Shireen's death, the origin of Hodor's name, and something, quote, from the very end uh, that we have still yet to get to. So we'll see what that uh, moment is still to get to. Uh, we'll, I'll skip my summation from the Entertainment Weekly article. It's not really important. Um, so the Crips of Winterfell teaser. Uh, there, so we got two teasers and a trailer to get through. So the Crips of Winterfell teaser... This was a 30-second or so teaser that featured footage shot solely for the teaser, as their teasers always are. It shows John walking through the crypts underneath Winterfell, and then ice begins to overtake the building. John, Arya, and Sansa prepare to fight the impending wintry threat, and we also are shown three statues from when, you know, members of House Stark die. One of each of the three of them, although John's did look somewhat older than Arya and Sansa's. Either this teaser is a complete waste, as most of the teasers are, or we can guess that the Walkers do indeed attack Winterfell, and potentially Arya Sansa die in the battle, but Jon survives, Winterfell's rebuilt, and the three are entombed there with Jon dying at a later date. Uh, then, from the Aftermath teaser, it's just a sequence of showing characters' items frozen and strewn about in the snow throughout a ruined Winterfell. I will write what we see, but keep in mind this is not remotely indicative of anything. We see dragonglass arrows... Ghost, Tyrion's Hand of the Queen pin, Needle, the feather that Robert put on Lyanna's statue back in the series premiere, Bran's wheelchair torn apart, Jamie's golden hand, Danny's uh, chain dragon necklace thing, uh, and Longclaw. All of these items are strewn about a obviously ruined Winterfell covered in snow. This would imply either nothing or that the Free Folk, Tyrion, Arya, Bran, Jaime, Danny, John, Ghost, and whoever the Feather would mean something to, all die during the Battle of Winterfell. But I would say nothing. So, moving on to our last and final bit of tonight, uh, the official Season 8 trailer, which features roughly 90 seconds of new footage. So, first things first, John and Danny do make it safely to Winterfell. Uh, at some point, Arya is bloodied and running through the halls of Winterfell from something. Either something is chasing her, or she's just done something that is not good uh, for her. Uh, Davos and Varys make it to Winterfell. Arya is stating that she, quote, knows death and can't wait to see this face of it uh, while holding a dragonglass knife. Jamie. Uh, or potentially Euron, I couldn't tell, I'm guessing it's Euron though, is sailing on a ship that is flying Greyjoy banners. If this is actually Jamie, this would be very notable. Uh, Beric, Tormund, and Ed are walking somewhere with Beric's sword ablaze. 
Kyburn and Cersei are still in King's Landing, and Kyburn shows Cersei something that pleases her, which is usually not a good sign uh, for whoever, for whatever uh, <laughs> she's being shown. Uh, Sansa sees the two remaining dragons fly over Winterfell and looks somewhat scared of them. John and Danny have some sort of rendezvous in the crypts of Winterfell. John looks sad. Maybe this is immediately after he has found out his parentage and is going to try to figure out how to tell Danny about it. Uh, Gendry and Jorah are at Winterfell, and Gendry is going to work in the smithing area while Jorah looks to be leading a section of the army. Missy and the worm kiss. Uh, Jamie is fighting someone or something atop a set of ramparts that appear to be having a fire going on behind them. Might he be fighting at Winterfell while the castle is aflame? Uh, Cersei has someone brought before her. I couldn't tell because it's a very long shot. I couldn't make out who was standing in front of the throne. Uh, and is feigning satisfaction at their response to something she said. Uh, from the tiny silhouette, the figure looks to be dressed in a yellow tunic. Might this be the leader of the Golden Company or someone else? Uh, the two dragons, it appears mounted by both John and Danny, are flying north of the wall for some reason. Uh, Arya sees the dragons fly into Winterfell and is in awe of their majesty. Grey Worm leads the Unsullied into battle. John, as he is wont to do, sulks in front of the godswood. Uh, the hound is sweating and blood-covered. Jamie appears to be explaining his presence at Winterfell to someone, I'd assume one of the Starks or Danny. Uh, John sprints into battle with a lot of fire behind him. Uh, Sansa watches John and Danny stride towards the two dragons. Sansa does not seem to be very fond of Danny throughout this trailer. Uh, Arya, I think, is wielding a spear in battle. Danny has a look of either pain or annoyance, I couldn't quite tell which, while standing in, in a, one of the bedrooms in Winterfell. Tyrion, notably not anywhere that looks like Winterfell, is staring quizzically up at something. Brienne and Pod are standing in front of the army, and we see a hoof of a White Walker horse set foot on the battlefield. So what can we take away from this trailer? Well, pretty much everyone's at Winterfell. The walkers are definitely attacking there. Jamie, if I am true, if I am correct with thinking that was Jamie, has possibly joined up with Euron. Uh, Cersei's pleased by something, which usually is not good, and has someone brought to her. John is riding Rhaegal, and for some reason him and Danny are flying north of the wall. Maybe there's just a sightseeing tour, or are they trying to find something? Some are already theorizing they're looking for the Horn of Winter, which of course is to this point a book-only item, which was supposedly used to wake the giants from the earth. Uh, Sansa does not seem to like Danny much. I think that would be important to note. Last but not least, something has caused Arya to run in fright. It's probably not great if you manage to frighten Arya. Uh, also, it does seem pretty wild to me that through this whole trailer, we don't see the Night King or even a single walker, only a hoof of one horse is all we see of the dead in this entire trailer. Mm. Uh, the other thing I'd like to note, this is essentially a trailer for just the Battle of Winterfell episode. 
so which as far as I'm aware is probably going to be episode three of the season. So um, they're not showing us intentionally, I would assume, not showing us anything from the first two episodes. So I wonder what they have cooked up for that. Uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Glide TV Recaps Game of Thrones. Make sure to tune in on Sunday when we will be discussing our actual predictions for what is to come in Season 8. So until then, make sure to subscribe to the channel and goodbye.